Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. What happens every now and then in the Bible when it makes seemingly a contradiction? We're talking the Bible here. It's not supposed to do that. Dr. Jennings joins us today via Skype to share insights into resolving Bible contradictions without losing our faith in it. Dr. Jennings, what do we need to know? Well, first thing, my understanding, there are no contradictions in the Bible. Hmm. There are things that could appear, what some might call apparent contradictions. There are things that people do to try to create the perception of contradictions. That's what we're going to deal with today. Okay. The, the, the examples that the critics, agnostics, atheists, will often cite as contradictions, and they will throw those out there as proof that the Bible contradicts itself and it can't be trusted. Okay, And I'm going to show you that, in fact, every one of them are, in fact, not true, and it exposes a dishonesty amongst those who try and create contradictions in the Bible. So let, let's just go through some that are cited oftentimes. Good. So Exodus 28 says, 20 verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Romans 14, 5, one man esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in their own mind. Hmm. So they will say, ah, see, the Bible contradicts itself. That is, you got to keep the Sabbath holy, but this says, you actually just make up your own mind on which day you want. That's not actually what's going on here. First thing that you're noticing, and this is going to be a pattern for all of the critics of Scripture, is that they will lift a statement or a phrase or a sentence out of context as a declarative, as a, an absolute, as a, a proof statement or proof text, and then compare it to another one. And so they will assign a meaning that the actual context may not have had just because they lifted it out of context. And that's what they're doing here. Yeah. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But Paul in the New Testament is talking about something else. He's talking about how a person comes to have faith in anything. Have you ever heard the statement, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Okay, well, this is, the, this is what Paul is dealing with in Romans. He is simply saying, it doesn't do you any good to keep the Sabbath if you are not understanding and convinced it's actually the mm. Sabbath. So a person has to be convinced in their own mind for there to be any benefit in Sabbath keeping. And so don't force people to keep the Sabbath. Leave them free until they're persuaded. So it was never a discussion about which day is the Sabbath and which day is not the Sabbath, but about how the Sabbath is a benefit it to only those who are persuaded in their mind. And so for the Christian folk who want to argue, see, you could, doesn't matter which day, I would simply say, if you're a Christian, does it matter whether you accept Jesus or not? Yeah. And I've had this discussion. They'll say, of course it does. Well, are people to be fully persuaded in their own mind on accepting Jesus? Mm. Ah, see, that's the point Paul is making. So there's no contradiction here at all. Yeah. Okay, very good. Second one, Ecclesiastes 1.4, the earth abides forever. 2 Peter 3.10, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are in it shall be burned up. So there's, again, the alleged or taking these as, as absolute statements. Mm -hmm. What was meant by these things? The earth abides forever. The elements melt in fervent heat. Well, first off, the 
earth will be made new. When the elements melt and the fervent heat and the sin and the corruption is being burned away, that doesn't mean the earth ceased to exist. It's actually in the process of being reformed and recreated. And so I don't see a contradiction in here. I see that God is healing or cleansing his earth and making it new, but it's still the earth. Mm -hmm. That's sort of like when we accept Christ, we become a new person. We're, the, we're, we're still us as far as physically concerned, but we're a new person from the inside out. Yes, and when this mortal puts on immortality, yeah, this corruption yeah, puts on incorruption. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're still us, but we're going to get new bodies. Yep, yep, yep. So how about this one? John 3, 3, in reply, Jesus declared, speaking to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Revelation 1, 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. (laughs) Okay, all right, yes. Is that a contradiction? Sounds like one. Well, okay, this this requires, again, reasoning and understanding what's actually meant. When he says, no one can see the kingdom of God except he is born again, is Jesus using the word see as physical photons hitting your retina and seeing physical shapes? Is that what he's talking about? Hmm. Hmm. Or is he saying, see the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? It's the kingdom of love. It's the kingdom of truth. It's the kingdom of other-centeredness. It's the kingdom of God's character and principles. No one can see what God is really like and how he runs his universe unless they're born again, unless they have a heart that loves love and loves truth. If they're solidified in hate, if they're solidified in selfishness, if they like deception, they won't comprehend. They won't see. They won't understand. They won't perceive the things of God. That's what Jesus is saying. They won't see it. But in Revelation 1-7, they are raised and they have eyes that have retinas that can process photons and they see the physical appearing of Jesus Christ, but they don't see the kingdom of God. Here's what they will see, because the text goes on to say how they beg for the mountains to fall on them and hide them from him who sits on the throne. Why? Because they don't see the truth of God's kingdom of love and truth and a gracious, redeeming, loving Savior. They see a horrible dictator who's coming back to kill them and torture them, and they're terrified of him because they see the physical appearing but they don't see him for who he really is. They see him through the lenses of the lies they believed. And so they have been born again. So they're not really seeing him. Does that make sense now? It does. See him through the eyes of their lies. That's so clear, yes. So again, the uh, people who try to make these contradictions out are dishonest with what the texts are saying and try to make it sound. And for the superficial person who doesn't think these things through or are very concrete and don't know how to unpack figures of speech, they can be confused by this. And I see this with a lot of adolescents when they go to college and they have these what I call dishonest professors who will then take texts like this and poke at these adolescents who haven't really thought these things through and maybe haven't even fully developed critical reasoning and abstract thinking skills yet, and therefore they're very literal and concrete, and they will take texts like that and go, oh, well, you can't trust the Bible because it says here and here. That's a contradiction. And for people who can't abstract and can't process a figure of speech, then this sounds like that. And so a lot of people get led into disillusionment from their upbringing because of dishonest and unethical professors, in my view. But we'll move on. Well, let me just take one moment here. So how should we approach the Bible when we want to understand and see God's kingdom of love? How do we approach the Bible? Well, if you really want to have it, you have to start with a humble acknowledgement that we have a finite mind and and that we're not going to be able to understand godly truths as long as we're seeing things through worldly ways. Mm. 
So we have to say, I don't want to see the, uh, I don't want to try to study the Bible through the mechanisms and systems of this sinful world. I don't want to understand justice as the world describes justice, God. I want to understand justice as your heavenly kingdom. And see, this is how Christianity's corrupt. Christianity has been corrupted by the idea that God's law is no different in function as human law, a system of rules that requires the rule giver to punish rule breakers. Mm-hmm. And therefore, justice is taught in many Christian circles as God inflicting torture, pain, and death upon his children, which makes God out to be the worst dictator in the sky. So, no, it's a falsehood. Biblical justice is doing what is right, doing the right thing. That's why righteousness and justice are the same in the original languages. Mm-hmm. And the right thing is always seeking to heal, but ultimately leaving people free not to be healed who reject and refuse refuse God's healing. That's justice. All right. All right. Next contradiction. What are we doing? Exodus 21, 23 to 25. Thou shalt give life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Jesus speaking, Matthew 5, 39. Resist not the evil. Whoever shall smite you on the right cheek, turn him also the other. Mm-hmm. So is this a contradiction? This is not a contradiction. This is, again, lifting things out of context. In Exodus chapter 21, this is given to people who had just immediately left slavery, where they had been in slavery for 200 years or so. Four, five, six, seven generations had been in slavery. And so in slavery, the slave is property. It has yeah. Slave has no rights. Yeah. Slave is uh, beaten for the smallest little thing, can be killed at the whim of the master. If somebody does you wrong, you can just kill them if you're the one in power, if you're the owner. And so they have this idea that power can do whatever it wants. Mm-hmm. If I'm strong enough, if you took that little blanket of mine, I get to kill you and take it back. And so God is starting to move these individuals who are operating at the level of a slave, which is level one moral development, power makes it right, to level two. No, you cannot take more than what was taken from you. There has to be equity. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Jesus comes and tries to tell them, well, love doesn't have to take anything. Love forgives, and love wants to take the person who has taken from you and win their heart to friendship, and you can win their heart to friendship where they will have your back and you'll have their back in the future if you don't seek to retaliate against them. And thus, the eye for an eye stops the retaliatory experience and, and starts winning people who were exploiting of you to friendship. And that's what Jesus is leading people to. So he was basic taking them on a step-by-step journey from where they were to where he wanted them to be, from slavery to being a loving Christian person. Because that's how reality works. Can you take your infant child out directly from infancy into Mm -hmm. a track star in the Olympics? No. Or do they have to crawl? Do they have to toddle? Do they have to walk? And then do they run? And then do they train? There is a process of development, and human minds do not go from power overthinking all the way to the maturity of God in an instant. There has to be growth. We have to understand, assimilate, and as we assimilate truth, we grow in truth. Wow. Wow. And what's next? This is Genesis 17.10. This is my covenant, which I shall keep between you and me. Every man-child among you must be circumcised. And then Galatians 5.2. If you are circumcised, Christ shall not profit you. (laughs) I knew you were going there with that, yes. (laughs) Okay, and so again, this is just picking a text, not understanding context or anything else. And the circumcision that Abraham did was simply and the New Testament makes clear, simply a physical enactment of the true circumcision that Abraham already had. 
And that's what Paul makes clear. The true circumcision is circumcision of the heart. We cut away our attachment and love for this world and our trust in ourselves, and we attach our hearts to God and trust in him. Abraham had that, and then God gave him the physical enactment or ceremony to demonstrate what is already there. And Paul's saying, now that Christ has come, we don't even have to do the physical part as long as we have it written in the heart. You know, in the two minutes we have left here on the program, Dr. Jennings, if you were to present what you just said to the people who posted those comments and those, those contradictions, and put that word in quotes, that they have, would they be able to understand it or what's missing in their lives that would, means they couldn't? So it, it depends on their attitude or their heart. If they are a critic and they have no desire to understand, mm-hmm. their desire and intention is to deny and distort, yeah. then they will just criticize me as, you're just bending it and twisting it to say everything you want because they've locked into literalism and concretism. Mm-hmm. And so it would be no different than I say, <clears throat> excuse me, Charles, I've got a frog in my throat. And somebody goes out and says, Jennings eats amphibians. <laughs> And I go, no, I don't. Yes, you do. You said you had a frog in your throat. I, 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 are you going to lie now and say you didn't say that? Are you going to deny what you said? Are you gonna, you're just trying to twist it and explain it into something else. And this is what, <laughs> they, what they're doing. They're Absolutely. taking something meant to mean one thing, and they turn the word to mean something else that is a potential meaning. I mean, it could mean that if I was actually eating amphibians. Oh, I got a frog in my Could have meant that. <laughs> but everybody knows that's not what I meant. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is what they do. So when you try to explain it, if they're honest, they'll go, oh, wow, you know what? You're right. I, I'm going to back off that. I misunderstood what was being said. That's a good explanation. If they're honest of heart, they'll appreciate it. But if they're dishonest of heart, they will get angry. They won't want to talk to you. They'll walk away or they'll just call you some type of name about you're just uh, rationalizing or you'll explain it any way you want. I've heard that kind of stuff before. Well, I've got good news for you, Dr. Jennings. You're talking right now to thousands and thousands of honest seekers, honest of heart people, and they are so glad that you have said what you've said today to clear up some of that information. Listener, comeandreason.com is the website where you can find more honesty, more ways of looking at the Bible, more ways of looking at Jesus and his love for you. That's at comeandreason.com. Dr. Jennings, as always, thank you so much for clarifying for us what the Bible says. We appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together.